1: It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He's been recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings nearly 40 years of experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors.
2: We are gathered here on hallowed ground. His heads bowed down, we'll gather here on hallowed ground.
3: Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. First time you heard the show, hey, welcome aboard. The show's in a couple of different parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. The idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, that's avoiding probate after you're gone. And as far as elder law is concerned, our main focus is trying to save assets from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, we talk about history, politics, religion, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But with us right now, as most of you know, we start with one of the attorneys in our office, and today we, we have our newest attorney, Mark Ball. Welcome to the show.
4: Thank you, Mr. Connors. Happy to be here.
3: Okay, so tell us a little bit about your background. Where'd you go to law school? Where did you grow up?
4: Oh, sure, sure. Um, you know, I'm, I'm from the New York area. I was born in Staten Island, um, and, but I spent part of my other years up in Rockland County, um, I went to uh, Tulane University Law School down in New Orleans, um, and I guess my, my background, I, I worked a little bit in estate planning when I first graduated law school, um, but I also have uh, worked at a, a firm doing some IP and intellectual property type work also.
3: Okay, so you've, you know, talk about some of the problems that you've observed to your questions. Or comments from clients that, you know, especially as we're gathering, we're the first part of the year right now.
4: Sure, yeah. I, I think this part time of year, um, a lot of people are kind of trying to reorganize themselves, get ready for taxes. But the one thing I think they also forget about is maybe to check up on their estate plans. And one of the questions I, I seem to get once in a while people come up and just say, hey, it's, you know, it's been like 10 years since I've executed my will. Do I need to update my will or not? Um, maybe you can comment on
3: Yeah, that's the that. question. You know, for some reason, the 10 years is is fairly common. People say, you know, how, and people come up with the answer, well, you should probably look at it every 10 years. And I guess as a rough rule of thumb, that's okay. But you, really, I think the main circumstance, what has your situation changed? You know, has your family members changed? If family members passed away, if family members been born, uh, has your net worth changed? A lot of times I see people that did wills 20 years ago and they didn't have any substantial assets, and now twenty years later, they've, the estate has grown quite a bit, and they don't have any tax planning, you know, involved because you know yeah. it's, it's you know seven million dollars roughly is tax free in New York right now. Somebody may have had three million dollars twenty years ago, and we didn't do any tax planning. Now somebody may have you know seven million dollars today, and especially if different circumstances occur like if you're married the seven million can become fourteen million. If you're single it's seven million. And that's an example, you know, and, and the question is, may you move to another state where there is an estate tax. So one of the, the two biggest mistakes I've seen when people did not update their wills. One, they failed to take into account the circumstances of how their estate has grown financially and their will is out of date from that point of view. And number two The executors, powers of attorney, Um, you know, sometimes we're trying to probate wills that were done 40 years ago, and your children were 10 years old 40 years ago, and you had your brother as executor. Now your kids are 50 years old, and your brother's 90 years old, and do you really want your 90-year-old brother to be the executor of your state when you got 50-year-old children involved? Those are some of the things that I would, you know, say— One of the biggest problems, two biggest problems of people not updating. And, you know, again, even when you, you know, you have a guardian in your your will for your minor children, even sometimes you you might want to look at it because when, when your children are infants and they're two or three years old, you may want one person to be guardian. But at the same time, when the children are 15 or 16, maybe you want somebody else to be a guardian. And, of course, one of the things, too, is like if somebody, God forbid, somebody loses a parent, at fifteen or sixteen, the one thing some psychiatrists have told me: you don't want to move that kid out of the school. You want that kid to be rooted in his in, in with his friends and his support system, and you don't want to move him. Whereas, let's say a two-year-old can be easily moved to another state. So that might be one of the questions you think about: is guardian? If you know, as your child gets old, do you have the right person as guardian? And and this is one thing we should say with without. Exception, anybody who has a child under the age of eighteen years should have a will, if nothing else, to appoint a guardian and that was a problem a lot in September eleventh. We had people that passed away with no planning, younger people that passed away with no planning, they had a child, they didn't have a guardian in place, and there, there are two problems with that. One, you want to choose the person to handle the finances for your children. And number two, if you don't have anything in place, your children inherit when they reach the age of 18 years. Do you want an 18-year-old child to inherit, let's say, a million dollars on his or her 18th birthday? Ordinarily not. You'd want to push it back to 25 or whatever age you think is appropriate. So, you know, changes in your lifestyles, more than every 10 years, I would just take a look at, like, changes in your lifestyle. But I wouldn't go 20 or 30 years without changing your will, at least taking a good look at it.
4: Mm Oh, that's, that's, um, that's great. Um, you know, one of the things, another question I guess we get, you know, somewhat similar is like, you know, I'm just about to retire, you know, um, you know should I be, I had a executed will a little while ago. I think I have everything's in place, but is there something I should be concerned about, you know, after I retire, maybe like long-term care insurance or something like that?
3: Yeah, well, long-term care insurance, if you can afford it buy long-term care insurance, for the most part from the people I've seen, once you turn about late 60s, it's very expensive to get long-term care insurance. And so if you don't have it in your early 60s, it, it could be very expensive to get long-term care insurance. Long-term care insurance basically is, for the most part, insurance to take care of either your nursing home bill or home care. And, again, you you know, if you buy the policy when you're 75, you're going to be paying an awful lot of money almost exorbitant to to keep it up, where if you buy it at 60 or 62, you probably can afford it. And of course, one of the problems we're having today, and and I know a lot of people have a bad taste in their mouth about long-term care insurance because the insurance companies actually misinterpreted life expectancies. So they're having problems and they're going out of business because they went on life expectancies from 20 or 30 years ago, when people died at 70 or 75 and of course now people live to be 80, 85, 90, 100 and so they're they're paying out over a much longer period of time than they first expected to pay out so they're going broke on it and then premiums are getting raised they're applying to get the premiums raised and it does leave a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth but at the same time you can afford long-term care insurance the average cost of a nursing home right now in New York City is is over fifteen thousand dollars a month. It's over fifteen thousand a month. It's not fifteen thousand a month. It's over the average cost. And you know and and one of the mistakes when we're talking about the long term care policy, one of the mistakes some people make is they get a policy that pays, let's say, three hundred dollars a day. That's fine, but it that still made me have a three hundred dollar a day shortfall. And If you have a a $300-a-day shortfall, that could still hurt your family dramatically. And it it almost doesn't help because at that point, if we're going to have that shortfall, we're going to look at one of the the techniques that we talk about all the time um, where we do spouse refusal, transfer assets, look at the exemptions to the five-year look-back period. And the, the, the policy almost does no good. Now, if you have one of those policies, I wouldn't get rid of it. Because it always helps to have that $300 a day, and it might pay for home care if you needed it. But I think one of the mistakes people make when they're buying a long-term care policy is they get a policy that doesn't quite cover everything. If you're going to get the policy, get $500 a day with an inflation rider. And I know it's some people are having a bad taste in their mouth because... They got the policy, and now the company's going back to raise the premium. You say, hey, I've been paying premiums for 15, 20 years. Now you're going to raise the premium on me. Well, I'm sorry. I, I could have told you back 20 years ago that they were miscalculating life expectancies, but I think a lot of people did. We're just not used to the 21st century and people living a lot longer. Let me ask you, you went to Tulane, changing the subject. Do they have two core systems there, one for civil law and one for uh, common law? Uh, um,
4: Yeah. Actually, you you make that decision when you – in your first year of law school, you can um, study the common law, which is most of the universities, uh, the rest of the universities, the rest of the states here. And New Orleans, I guess, having a history, uh, you know, uh, basically can choose to to study the uh, civil law codes, which come from Roman history. So um, I, I actually had the opportunity to take a few courses in that. And uh, I found it, you know, quite interesting. Um, so it was, it was good, it was a good experience. So when
3: you first start out, you decide whether you're going to take common law or right. civil law.
4: Yeah, it's it's uh, because uh, you know you're located. You know, if you're generally the the, the students who are residents of of Louisiana and you're going to decide they're likely going to practice in Louisiana, they will choose to study the uh, the code there, the civil law code.
3: But either program allows you to take the bar in louisiana so
4: oh sure sure yeah so um yeah you, you'll be qualified to take the bar on either program for sure so um you of course i think you're probably going to need a little bit of a uh, if you're going to take the louisiana bar you're probably going to have to learn a little bit about the code for sure but um you know most of the students there uh you know there's many of them from out of state and everyone takes you know both both bars well, no, I'm just trying. Go ahead, Beth. You're I, going to say something. You're I personally You're from want
5: to welcome you to the firm because not very many people up here know about Louisiana. So thank you and welcome, welcome.
4: Sure, sure. I appreciate it. It was a great experience in Louisiana, um, in New Orleans. It's, and it's a very unique place. Um, it was a very interesting place to go to school for sure. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> I,
5: my, I, most of the people know. You know, I was born in Louisiana, and my dad went to school in in Louisiana, but then. My dad was at um, LSU Med School down in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. So when I was a little kid in the 50s, um, Pete Fountain had a club out, you know, and (laughs) it it was just an extraordinary time. And Mm so... I, I guess New Orleans ju- is just as crazy as ever.
4: <laughs> sure. it's It's been a while since I've been there, but I have to say, you know, my experiences there were very unique. Um, <laughs> but it was with all in fondness, uh, you know, the places, everything from some of the best coffee shops that I've ever been to Absolutely. to some of the best food um, and the best celebrations. It was just a really good place.
5: It's a, it's a, a um, I remember I was, I'm from North Louisiana, my whole family and my granddaddy, um, you know, it's a different world. North Louisiana is completely different from South Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And granddaddy said, look, you know, I mean, the people are going to be a little bit different. He said, but from my experience, if you are nice to them, they're the nicest people in the world and they would help you do anything. And you know uh, that's there's something to be said for that, you know the people that live I don't know if I know see uh, for our audience, if you go to Tulane, that's the rich person's school. My dad went to the l l s u med school I mean wait,
6: wait, 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 isn't it less expensive now
5: oh well what, what I did believe you,
6: that shifted
5: now what mark what 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 did you say about that Tulane it was
4: well, I think all law schools were fairly expensive, but I think Tulane was definitely one of the upper ones there. They Yeah. So, but I I have to say that LSU had an excellent a competitive reputation. Um everyone, you know, I, I could have been even more competitive than Tulane for all. I know I it was it was great.
5: It's a well it LSU if you know if you're an LSU family, then you, yeah. you know, did you ever get to um, baton rouge for a football game or anything like that yeah
4: i didn't go to the football games but i've, I've passed through some of the towns and it, it was it was good um you know the, definitely the, the football for sure in the south is like another religion and it was really <laughs> yes <laughs> I was careful not to, you know, take sides too easily before I knew what what, what school you're from. So, That's so it's good to ask what school you're from and then you know what to, to, to root and now for.
5: everybody out there knows how smart our attorneys are. <laughs> no, it's so, good stuff.
4: Right. Now, but, once
3: in a while when we do, we are talking, you know, occasionally somebody will ask me if I do a will in New York, is it good in, in the other states? And, yeah, a will done in New York is good in Louisiana. But, of course, occasionally there's some things where – like when somebody – You know, we talk about a holographic will. A holographic will is not good in New York. A holographic will is a will done entirely in your own handwriting with no witnesses. You just sign it yourself, you know. But in Louisiana, if you do a holographic will, it is valid. It has to be entirely in your own handwriting, signed by you, and then that is a valid will. But in New York, that's not. And... You know, that's that's one of the things sometimes you have to be a little careful. We had an estate once. A guy signed a will in, in Quebec, Canada, uh, because it was a family reunion up there. He was a New York resident, and he did what we would call a holographic will, which was valid in Quebec at the time he signed it, because I guess that's something that's accepted in the Napoleonic Code. It's also accepted in other states. We just had that discussion a few years back. Then Ethan Edwards, <laughs> will that he did in the the end of the Searchers is valid because it was in all in his own handwriting. We assume he signed it, but
5: yeah, uh, Mark, we're not gonna hold it against you. But have have you ever seen the movie The Searchers?
4: You know, I know of it, but I have not said, I sat down. Okay. sat down to watch it yet. But I've, go ahead, tell me, have, tell me about it. <laughs> well,
5: uh, Mr. Connors, uh, blow by blow, he can go. That it. it is. It was a John Ford movie. Okay. So it's and it's um, John Wayne is the lead. Sure. And I think it was. There are many, many people that said he that John Wayne should have gotten the. If you know, he did get Academy Awards, but he should have gotten one for that one. When I was young, when I first watched it, I didn't like it that much because it's uh, it is emotionally scary, and John Wayne is very scary in it. Ah. And so he goes from, um, you can see how how deeply he loves people, and then you can see how deeply he hates people. Sure. And and it's a it's a beautiful movie because it's a movie about redemption.
4: Sure. You know, you the more you talk about it, I might I might have seen it, and I think more than likely I did see at least part of it because okay. all these John Wayne movies were on the TV growing up all the yes, time. Yes, yes. So um, I didn't know them by name, but I'm going well, to we'll talk about it. Mean, But yeah. this
5: is one of the ones I... You, you
4: know, know, the
3: first time I saw the searches, searches I saw it Channel 9, W-O-R, and <laughs> they, between the commercials and they condensed it to fit the time period, it, it, it's it chopped oh, it up useless. so bad, I was not impressed by the movie. But of course... A little bit later when I took film classes and I learned who John Ford was and I got to see the, you know, the film and the big screen and whatever, I was, you know, awed by it. Right, right. Ever since then, I've always felt that that was one of the the greatest film ever made. Okay, since Mom brought up Academy Awards,
6: um, what do you think, I think we should do a whole radio show on the biggest winners and losers of Academy Awards programs. It's not bad. not so bad, bad. But I you know, like that. I mean the the idea that Kramer versus Kramer beat apocalypse now will <laughs> yes. never will never
3: stop on well, The <laughs> fact that Yule Brenner, I mean John Wayne wasn't even not a minute, but Yule yeah. Brenner and the King and i, oh, got I mean, the come Academy on. Award that year. when you even had Charlton Heston in the Ten yeah. Commandments. <laughs> Actually you
6: know what? No, no no no. You know what? I'm gonna say this is the producer. Um if any of our listeners Want to just email us yes, about what yes. their ideas are for the worst Academy Awards <laughs> of all time? Please ask Mike Connors at gmail.com. Please, I, this will be the most entertaining set of emails I ever get. Well, so ask but Mike in Connors. Any event,
3: if somebody's going to email us that, where do they email us and where do they email us questions that we'll play on the air? Ask Mike both? Connors, C O N N O R
6: S, ask Mike Connors at gmail.com. Please do get in touch.
5: <laughs>
3: All right. Well, I guess we're running out of time for this segment. Mark, thank you very much for being on the show. Good luck. And we'll talk to you in another time in a couple of months.
4: Thank you. Thank you. How can I
2: protect my family if something happens to me?
5: What if I need to go
2: to a nursing home? What will happen
5: to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care
3: of Grandpa.
5: I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers.
1: Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com.
7: If you're a homeowner 862 or older and are finding it harder to pay off debt or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A home equity conversion mortgage may be the answer for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. Give me a call so our team here at Contour Mortgage can show you how the loan program works and how much you and your family may qualify for. My job is to help you find the best solution for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Amelia, to determine if this mortgage program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-954-7463. Once again, that's 888-954-7463, and you could be on your way to a better retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591, Contour Mortgage Corporation, NMLS number 34384, 990 Stewart Avenue, Suite 660, Garden City, New York, 11530, Licensed Mortgage Banker, New York State Department of Financial Services.
8: This is Patrick Wayne. I had the good fortune to be raised by a man of strength and courage, a man of true grit. My father, John Wayne, died of stomach cancer in 1979, and in his characteristic style, he ignored advice to keep his disease quiet and campaigned publicly to encourage preventive treatment. He inspired our family to carry on that mission and to fight what my dad called the Big C. All this has been made possible by my father's legacy of determination and a community of supporters who have helped expand upon that legacy.
6: If you'd like to know more about what the Wayne family is doing to fight cancer, just go to johnwayne.org. (laughs) ¶¶
1: Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike.
3: Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, a little while ago, and I guess more than a little while now, we had Marty Ingram on. And he was talking about his experiences at Breezy Point during Hurricane Sandy, and he wrote a book, Flood, Fire, and a Superstorm. Welcome back, Marty. Thank you, Mike. I'm happy to be here, and thank you
8: for covering this story before as well.
3: Okay, and one thing I didn't think we brought up on our last meeting, you were in the military, and you're, you're retired from the military? Uh, yes, I am. Air Force. Okay, <clears throat> Lieutenant Colonel? Correct. Yes. Okay, so that gave you a little bit more, that gave you a pretty good background for what happened uh, during Sandy, and you want to give the audience a brief summary of where you were, what happened, and,
8: you know? Sure. Uh, I'll be glad to. The uh, military experience. I spent most of my career as a rescue uh, air force helicopter pilot, and I got to, you know, deal in chaotic events. And then uh, my very last part, I was a disaster uh, response preparedness officer, and we responded to big national disasters. And that that really taught me the system for the incident command system and the national. Um, It's called the Stafford Act, which is the National Emergency Response Act. So, ironically, my military experience prepared me for the event. And here's a thumbnail sketch of the event. Uh, Ironically, I'm really proud that everybody's talking about Sandy 11 years after the fact. And the big part of Sandy uh, really starts back in Hurricane Donna. In 1960, Hurricane Donna uh, came as the first time in a long time that the ocean met the bay and the Rockaway Peninsula. And uh, uh, prior to that, it was the storm of 38. But uh, Sandy, there was no over-the-horizon radar. And uh, this thing snuck up on us, and it it got us. And nobody, it was so bad, nobody really talked about it. And they said, they repressed it, and they said, um, it's never going to happen again in our lifetime. And sadly, the next generation didn't hear about it, didn't talk about it like what we're doing right now. And in a way, we were a little bit ill-prepared for what happened with, uh, initially it was Hurricane Irene and then Hurricane Sandy slammed us a year later. But um, this time, like I said, we had over-the-horizon radar with satellite uh, weather. But there was a dispute between uh, the European weather people who said it was going to track up the ocean but make a left turn and hit uh, northern New Jersey New York area. And uh, meantime, the U.S. Uh, Hurt National Hurricane Center it said it was going to stay uh, to in the ocean and never hit, uh, make landfall. So uh, this kind of surprised everyone as well. And um, you know, eventually the evacuation orders took place, but it was a scramble. So Sandy came in, and it got the name of a superstorm because when it hit the shoreline, a lot of storms lose their strength. And, uh, they fall under the the category. I think it's 72 uh, miles per hour wind speeds below that. It's no longer a category one hurricane. This thing kept its winds, but the upper structure of it changed and technically wasn't a hurricane, but because it merged with the low pressure system in the Southeast, this thing became a superstorm. And, um, at the time, uh, it was uh, reported to be the second most costliest hurricane in the history of the United States. At that time, of course, for inflation, now we're getting more expensive ones. But um, uh, it it came in. It was about 1,000 miles long. And there was, um, they say, a nine-foot uh, tidal surge. But right before uh, the main storm hit, uh, it, it, there was a 35-foot uh Wave that was measured uh, about 15 miles southeast of uh, southeast of Breezy Point. Uh, the the storm uh, actually came in, or the flooding came in first. At moon low tide, at about three fifteen in the afternoon, uh, it was supposed to be extremely low, but the tide had come in early, and it was really moon high tide. And then it kept going for another six hours. And at at around nine fifteen, we didn't expect. We didn't know what to expect, if the storm was going to start going out or if it was going to stay there. And by that time, Breezy Point had a, a fire starting, and it was spreading over the flooded area, being driven by the wind. And had, had the, the flood tides not started to recede, we, wouldn't, we were trapped. We couldn't move our trucks, couldn't move uh, people in, in the, the raging waters, and, uh, you know, it, it, we could have lost the whole community that night. But uh, amazingly, uh, right on schedule, the tide started to go out. <clears throat> now, the way I talk about this could be in three levels. One, is disaster preparedness, help prepare the next one, save lives. The other one is to help recruit firefighters um, and continue to save lives. Or the, the third part, which I think I'm gonna, I'm, I am going to dwell on, is um, the spiritual side, and that's to save souls. And, and there were a number of miracles that happened down here. And each time I tell the story, I discover other things that I would have called the coincidence. But a lot of us know that coincidence is a way for God to stay anonymous. And and um, some of these coincidences weren't really coincidence. But um, in the midst of it, we had survivors come in to um, we abandoned the firehouse, Point Breeze Fire Department. We were the only, uh, there were three volunteer fire departments. They stayed in the community. There's only nine in the city and the city evacuated their equipment off of the Rockaway Peninsula and personnel to the mainland. And then during the night when they needed to get back, they really had a hard time to get back because of the floods and all the other trouble. But, uh, the three volunteer fire departments stayed, people came, gravitated. We abandoned the firehouse, took over the clubhouse and, um, we took some of our light tools and emergency equipment uh, and set up shop in the Breezy Point Clubhouse, which was adjacent to it. But it's the highest um, piece of property in, in Breezy. And in Hurricane Donna, um, that was the only thing that stayed dry. So so uh, we set up shop there and people start coming in and more people came when they started smelling smoke over the over the floods. And um, we, we did. In order not to let them panic, we we did information briefings. And it was kind of like a huddle of what a swim coach would do, which I was. And we put all our hands out. And at the very end, we would say a prayer to the Almighty, asking for help to uh, to get our team to win. Well, we did these um, information huddles. I initially called them information huddles. And uh, to share information, keep them calm. And then at the very end, I said, you may think this is unusual, but I think it's appropriate. Let's say a prayer. And we did. We said the Our Father. And people initially shocked, you know, because the fire chief was saying uh, uh, prayers. And, um, but they all got comfortable with it. We wound up doing, later I called them prayer huddles. And after each prayer huddle, we saw something positive. We saw after the first one, it was close to um, the time when the water should have started receding. And we saw a very, very minuscule change. We were using different tools outside. Stop sign that was uh, had water up to the top. We saw, <clears throat> excuse me, we saw uh, a little change there, and we were using the mortar lines inside on the concrete blocks of the clubhouse. So <clears throat> we saw a big change. The next, uh, the next change, actually, the first change was after we did the prayer huddle. We had uh, boat crews from neighboring Rockway Point um, Volunteer Fire Department come in. Now we had a new dimension to rescue people. The second time we did a prayer huddle was when we saw the, the, the very tiny change. And the third time, <clears throat> so we did two of our fathers very successful. And, and then the third time, I got pulled away from the group because I had an issue to settle uh, outside with one of our firefighters. And uh, a friend of mine took it over. He was about 62 at the time. And I say, you do the prayer. And he, he, uh, he jumps in, and he starts off with the Hail mary. And, and I'm I'm just having the, the worst night of my life, and, and uh, I'm irritable. And I knew the two Our Fathers worked real well. And I ah. said, "Why is he doing the Hail Mary?" You know. And, and I I knew better not to address it there. I didn't have time. I said I'll address it sometime with him when he and I are alone. Well, that moment didn't happen until two months later. And I, I said to him, his name's Steve Glavy. I said, Steve. I said, Why did you say the Hail Mary after we did? We had two successful prayer huddles with the Our Father. And he said to me, Marty, he said, I went to Catholic uh, grammar school in Brooklyn, St. Vincent's. And he said that, uh, they asked, that the nun asked them to um, stand in front of the class and say the Our Father. And he said, I botched it so bad, and she yelled at me so much, I knew I could say the Hail Mary, you know, without any problem. And this has got to be about uh, 50 years later. So, but the his Hail Mary, really, from a spiritual sense, absolutely worked. Because at that time, the wind had shifted, the building was filling up with smoke, we were downwind immediately at the fire, we couldn't ventilate, we couldn't breathe, um, we were really at a critical juncture. We knew we had to evacuate, and it was, it was uh, too flooded outside to go. But we felt that we were right on the edge of operating the trucks in flooded water. We needed less than five feet to operate. We were right at five feet.
4: What,
3: well, well, so, what would so, you say... To to a cynic who says, you know, the the winds and the tide and the storm, that was already, you know, we knew where the tides were going. No, your prayers really didn't mean anything. They were just, you know, meaningless superstition.
8: Well, I think, you know, no matter what you say to some people, they're not going to believe it. But I witnessed it and I could see it. Uh, This storm, you know, I look at at the length of the storm. It was a thousand miles long. Uh, We, we. Definitely got some outside help, and I believe it was from uh, supernatural uh, powers. And whether you call it Christ or you call it Yahweh or uh, Allah, um, by saying those prayers, we were in the middle of an extremely powerful triple disaster, flood, fire, and superstorm. superstorm. And, and we saw those responses immediately after that. Uh, this has reinforced my faith, and when I tell the story to various groups, it rein, reinforces, uh, there, but I recognize there'll be people out there that no matter how much one tries to communicate with them, they're, they're isolated in their viewpoint. And, uh, that's their prerogative. But I think when you understand how this works, it, this gives you, like I said, it's totally reinforced my, my faith. And, um, and, and it really comes out in the book. Ironically, um, the book is one, uh, a literary award, um, some readers' favorite. It was a third prize award, a bronze medal, um, but it was in nonfiction Christian uh, category. And and, um, uh, a lot of people, I think there's more people, and and I would tell you, everybody that was there, it's like, you know, there are no atheists in a foxhole. Everybody there believes that this was not a coincidence. This this is really our prayers were answered. And uh, as I go through and I talk about it, I discovered more events during that night were not a coincidence. And, and I just came across a major one that, uh, I, I don't know why I didn't see it before, but when you believe in the framework of, you know, the power of prayer and God's will, um, you could see all these events that actually happen. And, um, I'm really not going to waste my time trying to convince other people. It's either you have it or you don't. And, and, um, I would love to change them. I mean, this is a story that really resonates in the spiritual world. So I hope I answered your question. Maybe I went too far. Mike, is that all right? No, no,
3: that's the point, I guess. But, you know, now, there have been a lot of articles I've seen, you know, since we talked last time about your book and about, um, you know, kind of like the, again, your book f- focuses and, and at least the, and the critical a claim really comes from the the fact that this is a book of faith, not just a book of history.
8: Yeah, definitely. It it's um you know, I think in the old days particularly, you know, and again I'm not a theologian, but you know, the Bible talked about, you know, how um you know God was um punishing and he would he would cause major floods, he would cause fire and brimstone, locusts. I I think, you know, in in today's understanding of events, um it's not a, a punishment from God. I think we understand that Mother Nature is fierce on her own, and that these events are going to occur naturally. And that uh, what has convinced me, because in my military experience, I, I was on the perfectly involved in uh, the perfect storm, and then I flew in what is now known as the Great Nor'easter of 1991. And then I, I experienced uh, Hurricane Sandy from a leadership uh, altruistic position. And and I, I got to tell you that um, these are, this is not from an angry, punishing God. This is an independent event that happens, thus happens. And But when you're in there and, and you really don't have many options, the power of prayer really works. And, and I really endorse that to anybody. I mean, we have disasters. Oh, the other thing was that the only thing left standing in the burn zone the f- next day, and, and the burn zone, I'm not proud of this, but... We lost, sadly, 135 homes, which makes that fire the biggest residential fire in the history ever of New York City. And at one time, three volunteer fire departments were were operating. Eventually, the city got in, and when they got there, they did a great job, but they had a hard time, and they lost many trucks trying to drive through the flooded waters. But the the point is, the only thing standing the next day in the burn zone was a statue of the Blessed Mother. And, And to me, that was... Confirmation that um, we weren't dreaming about this. This this was a calling card that said, "I came here and I left my uh, i I helped you that night." And, and you know, I look at the terrible disaster that ha- happened out in Hawaii, lahina where they had a massive fire and a lot of people's lives were dead. You know, died. And and um, what what uh, did happen was there was a statue of the Blessed Mother there, and, and I can't understand. You know the only thing I could say is that maybe at a critical juncture the leadership inside the disaster um, I don't know if they said a prayer to the Blessed Mother or not Uh, I can't imagine, I'm so proud that nobody in Breezy Point died and and we estimate over 2,000 people were there even though the uh, calls for evacuation but you know uh, I I am not one of these persons that run around and as, a, you know, a religious enthusiast, I I just understand what happened. And, and you know, I want to share that story, and I, I hope the book uh, does as well.
3: Well, let me ask you something. We were talking about this a while back, but this would be a great story for a movie or a film or a TV uh, mm-hmm. show. Have,
8: what do you think about that? I, you know, again, um, I've gone to this place called Major Gory, the current day Fatima, uh, with a friend of mine, a Catholic priest, Brian, uh, Brian Carney. And, um, we, we, with one of the, uh, original uh, visionaries who's now in his sixties, I guess. There's a lot of su- support coming out about that. And there are people coming up to me and they keep saying, this should be a movie, you know, and, and jokingly they say, who do you think should, should um, play your role? You know? And they're kind of looking at me, and I know Tom Cruise is going to come up. I don't meet that standard, but um, some people have vivid imaginations. And uh, I said, no, I want this guy Mark Wahlberg to do it. And um, I also had a Hollywood producer who's retired who who said that on videotape, which is on YouTube, Conversations with Marty Ingram. He said this should be a movie. it's, It's a unique story of... You know, the volunteer fire departments, I had high school kids, college kids, a couple of financial guys and, and some off-duty cops, and, and we fought the biggest fire ever. And it's, that's just Breezy Point. Rockley Point was the same in Roxbury. They all did fantastic work, and that story needs to be told and retold because it's a unique story, and it, it really has, I, I think, a universal appeal to it, particularly with the feedback I'm getting. From people outside of New York and down south, out west, and uh, Major Gory magazine got a hold of some of the the spiritual aspects of it. Their magazine goes uh, globally um, to people who have made pilgrimages to Major Gory, and again, the response is the same. It's it's a universal story that really has universal appeal. Disasters and hurricanes and fires are are global. Um, Global issues that are not just regional here in New York. So it does, it does have a good story to tell, and I think it may help to save lives and souls once they, um, if if it's changed into a movie and uh, there's more people talking about. it. But thank you for asking that question.
3: All right. Now, if somebody wanted to buy your book right now, where do they buy it?
8: Well, um, if they're in the area, I could, uh, they could contact me at my email, marty.ingram, Marty dot Ingram. It's M A R T Y dot I N G R A M two at gmail.com. or they could go to uh, Amazon Books uh, and then the title of the book: Flood, Fire, and Superstorm. That is, it, it, Amazon still is still carrying it as a five star book. Um, it's got it's gotten some really nice uh, reviews, and it's about thirty five independent reviews that are very very positive about it uh that are mostly talking about the spiritual aspects marty
3: listen thank you very much for what you did you know during sandy and thank you for you know putting your spin on it because i think the world needs more of those stories right now
8: Yeah, you're absolutely right and um, i'm still hoping that mark Wahlberg will hear (laughs) about this and uh I, I like the idea of somebody like uh, him. They made him and Mel Gibson made the movie Father Stew. and, and I think there's a real market. Uh, and a lot of people are tired of some of the the issues that come out with the regular Hollywood movies. Uh, I, you know, I get some free streaming, and and a lot of the stuff is just a waste of my time. This could be a really, really good story that would motivate people and actually help prepare them for future disasters. So, uh, but Mike, thank you very, very much for the time on here. And I wish you all the best to you and your listeners. And uh, may I have a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, everything, and have a great new year. God well,
3: bless. Merry Christmas to you, Marty.
8: Thank you. Bye now.
0: I'm in a good place in my life. And I'm energized
4: by new adventures. I've got friends to laugh with.
5: And a good relationship.
4: But even though I'm kind of comfortable?
8: I sometimes wonder, is there something more?
4: Could God in church be what you're looking
1: for? Come and see at catholicscomehome.com. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB.
7: If you're a homeowner 862 or older and are finding it harder to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress, a home equity conversion mortgage may be the answer for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. Give me a call so our team here at Contour Mortgage can show you how the loan program works and how much you and your family may qualify for. My job is to help you find the best solution for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this mortgage program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me, I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-954-7463. Once again, that's 888-954-7463, and you could be on your way to a better retirement. Frank Melia NMLS number 62591, Contour Mortgage Corporation, NMLS number 34384, 990 Stewart Avenue, Suite 660, Garden City, New York, 11530, Licensed Mortgage Banker, New York State Department of Financial Services.
2: How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if
5: I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of grandpa? Grandpa.
3: I'm
5: Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers.
1: Connors & Sullivan, in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, or connorsandsullivan.com.
3: Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Thanks again to Marty Ingram. Again, it's a very, very interesting story. Flood, fire, and a superstorm. And if if you don't know where to get the book, give us a call at our office, and we'll tell you where you can get it. Now, Michael, we talked about this earlier, but if somebody wants to email us a question, and of course about your thing, about what, what would you do about the Academy Awards, what would you say again?
6: Oh, I would I would just love to get our listeners, who are probably of the age to have a very good memory on how many stupid Academy Award winners there were. <laughs> I would love our listeners to email us and just say what they think the biggest losing winners would be <laughs> from the Academy Awards. But um you're gonna want to shoot that over to Ask Mike Connors, C-O-N-N-O-R-S, AskMikeConnors at gmail dot com.
3: Listen, my opinion the Academy Awards couldn't do a poorer job of selecting the best picture. <laughs> the best actor, actress, and so forth. I mean, you know, they, they've done a horrible job over the years. Of course, I haven't even paid attention to it in the last 20 or years. Well, it's unwatchable years. now. Yeah, but, uh, well, we, again, if you want to email us a question, also use that email question. If, you know, we're not going to do seminars for the uh, winter months. So if you want us to do a seminar at, if, if you have a, a church or a synagogue or, another not-for-profit, or even a organization, yeah, for-profit, you want us and to do a seminar there, give us a call.
6: Yeah, absolutely. And also, remember that you can always pull up, if you really want to learn about something, you can always pull up Dad Giving a Seminar Online at YouTube. Just go to YouTube.com and search um, Connors & Sullivan Seminar, and you should see Dad right there.
5: What's interesting about that is if you watch it, it helps you to figure out maybe some questions you want to ask because uh, we, have, we have people that have been to your seminars, what, three and four times just to, to learn about it, and then um, then they figure, okay, now I know what to ask. It's, it's more confusing than you think.
3: Okay. Well, in any event, we're coming, you know, to the close of this show We haven't said this so far, but Happy New Year. Oh, Happy New Year
5: Year to everybody.
3: And, you know, New New Year's Year's
5: resolutions. New
3: Year's resolutions. There are a lot of people that have it out there. You know, I got a New Year's resolution. I'm going to do a will. That may be it. If you want to help carry that through, give us a call at Connors and Sullivan. Again, anything as far as estate planning, we do. Elder law, we do. So if you want to do a will, you want to do a trust, you want to do a power of attorney, a health proxy, you want to find out what's best for you, which is probably more important, what fits your circumstances, come in, we'll schedule an appointment. There's no charge for the first meeting. The first consultation is free on anything we're doing about estate planning. We charge usually by the hour, not by the job. We charge by the job, not by the hour. So you're going to know exactly how much it's going to cost you to follow through with your plan. So we talk it over, I'll give you an estimate, then you take take it home, think about it, and then go from there. And again, there's no one right answer for everybody. Everybody's a little bit different. Some of you have children you can trust, some of you don't have children, some of you have millions of dollars worth of assets and we want to avoid probate in three different states, and some of you have $50,000 in the bank and you want to save it from a nursing home. Wherever you are in those circumstances, please feel free, schedule an appointment, call us at 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. We have offices in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. We're at 7408 Fifth Avenue, Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. We're on Davis Avenue in Staten Island. We're on Metropolitan Avenue in Middle Village. We're in on Bell Boulevard in Bayside, New York, and we're on 110 East 59th Street in Manhattan. I go to each one of the offices every week. So if you want to give us a call, schedule an appointment. Again, don't be shy. I'm more than happy to talk to you. We usually have a good time talking to our clients. Maybe I spend too much time talking you about personal matters and <laughs> history, politics, religion, whatever.
6: So, Michael, what languages do we have? All right, so we've got English, Spanish, Italian, Greek, Russian, Polish, Romanian, Ukrainian, Mandarin, Cantonese, Fujianese. Tagalog and Hindi. All
3: right, well, thank you again. Happy New Year. We thank you. To Happy around.
0: New Year. Thanks
6: so much for joining us.
1: We're gathered here on hallowed ground To sing this whole away. We are gathered here on hallowed ground the Voices raised, heads bowed down We're gathered here on hallowed ground To sing this
2: song away. Hey, Kevin McCullough, are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors & Sullivan's Lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors and Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC